Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show, y'all. I'm your host, Kwali, and I'm back with another serious topic. Yeah, so for those who are just tuning in, hopefully you've listened to my first episode, which kind of gave you an introduction to myself, the podcast, and what I'm looking to accomplish with this podcast. Um, if you don't know, um, I want to talk that real-ish. You know, I want to talk that real-ish. I want to be able to, you know, express myself in a, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a positive manner, but also have the autonomy to share information that I feel is prudent, but also, you know, be able to you know, express my opinion. Like I said, it may not be fact to you, but what really is fact nowadays? Because anything can be portrayed in which way it wants to be portrayed. So, again, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm ready to, you know, get on this topic. I think it's a very important, very important topic, and it's something that we really need to highlight within our community. And when I say our community, the black community, in a sense. And if you listen to the first episode, I really don't like using the term black, but for the sense of cohesion and comprehension, I'm going to use the term black. So. Let's get into it. All right. This episode, which will be titled Group Economics, is self-explanatory itself. Group economics. What exactly does that mean? Well, the definition of it, if you Google it, says a collective group pulling their resources together to benefit a common interest. So what does that what does that really mean? You know, there's so many things go through my mind when I think about group economics. You know, first of all, let's break down economics, you know, anything pertaining to, you know, the environment from a financial stance, rather it's, you know, supply and demand, rather it's entrepreneurship, rather it is building wealth. It's just so many things come to mind when I think about, you know, economics, you know, they have a a degree path in that, you know, how people study, you know, spending habits and how to, you know, in a sense, monetize yourself and, you know, being able to solve problems. So what is the group aspect of it? So, you know, going back to the definition is pulling our resources together for a common interest. So my question is, why hasn't the black community been able to get over that hump? It, It makes no sense that, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the ending of slavery, the, the ending of slavery, and I'm air quoting right now, because I feel like if you work a job, you're still a slave, because you're told when to, how to, where to, what to, and who to, um, in that capacity, you know, when to go to the bathroom, when to show up, how much you're going to make, like, how can a person really give you a, uh, uh, basically tell you, this is what you're worth, you're only going to make this much money based on your efforts. My efforts are limitless. So I, you know, pay me a hundred million a, a second for my, my efforts because, you know, I believe myself, I love myself and I'm not going to sit here and be, you know, told what to, how to. Now, again, we've been conditioned since, you know, we talk about K4, you know, ever since the, you started school, you've been conditioned to be an employee. But even with that being said, I just, I, I, at 31 going on 32, I'm at a point in my life where I'm done with that shit. I'm not doing it anymore. I don't care for it. And, you know, you just got to sometimes go on a limb. I'd rather bet on myself than try to bet on the next person who at any moment can say, you know what? You're not worth our time. You're not worth our money. So we're going to get rid of you. And now you're back to square one. So just a small little tangent. I do that from time to time because that's just who I am. But back to the whole essence of group economics. My question was, why haven't we been able to get over the hump? You know, we, we even look at uh, some of the things that's going on 
uh, some of the black communities, or specifically, we talk about Black Wall Street. And so let's get into the history of it. Black Wall Street. For those who don't know, Black Wall Street was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and for those who don't know much about that area, um, think about the Gap Band. Uh, for those, you know, if I got some old heads that are listening in, the Gap Band, you know, Charlie Wilson and his two, uh, I believe, his brother and his cousin, I believe, were a family trio. Um, Gap, what, where did this whole essence of Gap come from? Like, that's just a, a random word to say or use as a... Um, to, to describe your group or to name your group, but it actually is an acronym for the cross streets that were in uh, the Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So the G stands for green, right? The A starts, uh, stands for archer, and then the P stands for pine, green, archer, pine, gap, G-A-P, gap. So those are some of the cross streets within uh, uh, Black Wall Street within Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, and if you don't, those who don't know, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Black Wall Street was, it was one of the most um, populous and had so much revenue. You know, the black dollar was turning over and over and over. It was a booming, it had booming industries. We're talking about hospitals, taxi services, um, uh, masonry, uh, carpentry, uh, grocery stores. There were so many, and it was its own small community in a sense without needing the help or the the input or the the monetary uh revenue from other communities it's essentially like how we look at these asian communities in america or these asiatic in terms of those who may have melanin you know they say middle east but that's not there's no such thing as the middle east and i said what i said um but you know we talk about how do they come from their countries over here and they're able to pull their money and their group economics really stand strong and, and, and firm and whatnot. How are they able to overcome when they, they're immigrants coming over and have nothing? But we can get into that a little later. But essentially, that's what Black Wall Street was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But what happened was, uh, what, what's the date on that? Uh, Jesus, I can't remember the date on it. It was the early 1900s, basically. It was bombed. It was an act of terrorism. White people bombed Black Wall Street. And it injured, it killed, I believe, 300 people and injured over 700 people. So in totality, we talk about men, women, and children, uh, over 1,000 people were injured or killed within this bombing. But no one talks about it. No one talks about it. You know, and that's fucked up. No one talks about it. But in our history books, they want to talk about Shakespeare, Romeo, and Juliet. So U.S. history, when we're in class, when you're a 10th grader or 11th grader in high school, why aren't we talking about the bombing of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma? In economics class, why is that not talked about? In history class, why is that not talked about? Again, it just, it, just, it baffles me, but it's, it's no surprise because, again, these, anything that's happened to the Black community is always going to be overlooked, underlooked, and swept under the rug. That's just what it is. Even when we them talking about, you know, I think there's about them getting rid of critical race theory, you know, and I think there was, I think eight to ten states has already uh, that approved of uh, taking critical race theory out of the history books. So they're not going to talk about the Atlantic slave trade. They're not going to talk about um, civil rights movement. They're not going to talk about those things that were pivotal in our community, which helped us to get to get us to where we are now. So I just, it just baffles me, but let me get back on track because again, like I said, I, I tend to go off on tangents 
when it's something that I'm very passionate about because there's so I have so much information in my head of things that I've acquired from reading documentaries, watching documentaries, and just having intellectual conversations with individuals who are um, more well versed in that uh, topic than I am. So, uh, well, let's get get into it. So again, um, a collective group uh, pulling their resources together for a common interest. So let's let's talk about pulling our money together. Um, I don't know. I want to give a shout out to Killer Mike. Um, Killer Mike, man, he's just he's a he's a very intellectual brother, entrepreneur, and you know he's a huge advocate within the black community. Um, and I just want to give him a shout out because you know we always got to give our roses to those who are doing things, and not because they was on love and hip hop. I'm I, I refuse to give anybody any praise that can barely probably read a script as J Cole, <laughs> J Cole said, you know, role models. But Killer Mike is really out here on the ground level doing real work uh, for the community in the community. Um, but uh, I want to shout out his documentary that he had on Netflix. It was called Trigger Warning. It's only six episodes. They're 30 minutes apiece. But within that three hours of footage, man, he touches on so many topics that are just profound and pivotal and things that we should know in our community. So the first episode talks about the black dollar. The black dollar. We always talk about, you know, we look and see everybody wanting to dress up and look nice and wear all these, you know, uh, what, what was it, um, designer this and designer that, but then go home and their house looks, you know, they got a blow, blow up at mattress bed on the floor. How you got a Hermes belt, but yo, you got a blow up bed at the crib. Your belt costs more than, you know, your bed. Like, that's crazy. That baffles me. But again, so what Killer Mike on the first episode, he talks about the black dollar and basically shopping black. Right. So, of course, Killer Mike is in Atlanta, you know, kind of the mecca for black folks in America. Um, there's other communities out here, but people don't know about it because people don't talk about it. You know, there's still 13 communities in Tulsa. There's PG County or Prince George County in Maryland, which is very affluent. Uh, then there's also a black community of millionaires um, in uh, Man Manhattan, New York. It's a, it's a, a, a affluent black uh, community there as well. You know, there's communities all over the place, you know. But we don't talk about it. We really focus on Atlanta because, again, it's always shifting the narrative to one thing, distraction on one thing, instead of highlighting all the things that are going on. And, and quite honestly, and I'm going to talk about this later in the episode, you know, HBCUs. Most HBCUs are in black communities, you know, so and most of them are doing what they can and pulling resources. And it's a huge communal value there. So but I'll get into that a little later. But back to this black dollar. So he basically just talks about buying black so he said he's going to spend three days buying black and he has a difficult time granted he's in atlanta buying black so he's like oh, you know he's, he can't eat food at restaurants that didn't grow their food on a black farm and things of that nature um and he couldn't really sleep anywhere because hotels most of them are owned by jewish or white white individuals and hold on let me let me let me digress right i'm tired of people saying jewish are people man that's a religion how are you going to say you were Jewish people? That's like saying that, like saying that you were Buddhist people, you know, just because you practice a certain uh, instance doesn't make that you mean you're a people. You know what I mean? That just means you have a, a you have intersectionality and you identify with this, but that doesn't mean that that's the specific people. I'm tired of me talking about the Jewish, this and Jewish, that those are depending on your, your ethnic, um, a classification you are who you are and you just subscribe to Juda Judaism 
So I don't want to hear it. I'm tired of hearing that. Like that's that's prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Prove me that that's the people. And when you can do that, I'll shut up. Outside of that, I ain't trying to hear that no more. But back to reality. So, um, yeah, so he was trying, you know, he was trying to manage and do what he can by only spending his money within the black community. And the reason why he was doing this, so here are the statistics. They say that on average, the Asian dollar stays within the Asian community or it turns hands uh, 28 days. 28 days, the Asian dollar stays within that community before it goes out into another community. Then it says the Jewish community, and I'm like, eh, Jewish, whatever. Uh, it stays within their community 19 days, right? 19 days. Then you have the white community or Caucasian, whatever you want to call them, uh, 17 days. Um, and then you have the Hispanic uh, pop, uh, community, uh, Latina, Latinx, uh, whatever term you want to use to um classify them i believe it stays within their community 28 hours so a day and two hours a day and four hours and then the black community our dollar stays within our community six hours let that sink in six hours literally you get your check on friday at 8 a.m right 8 a.m six hours from 8 a.m what's that 2, 2 p.m., your your money has gone somewhere else. Literally. You get your check by 8 a.m., by 2 p.m., and then afternoon that same day, your money is gone. That is bananas. But what's, what's more crazy about it is we are a multi-trillion dollar community. So all of the money that we bring in as a community is gone. A trillion dollars is gone within six hours. Help me understand, people. Make it make sense. House way. I, I'm just baffled by that. Again, Hermes. You're buying a Hermes belt, but you got to blow up bed in your house. Make that make sense. And I, I kind of want to touch on, you know, even with like Sean John, FUBU, Lacoste, um, and all the other various, you know, clothing clothing lines by black individuals we don't even really want to buy that now back in the 90s people was buying fubu like i was born in the 90s so you know i had me a fubu fit <laughs> but you know at some point it's still sold but no one buys it but somebody will run out and go buy tommy boxers in a heartbeat buy some tommy and a lot of these white designers european designers they they'll say our clothing is not for you and you know why they do that? It's a marketing marketing strategy. They say this because they know that if you tell if you tell them they can't do it, first thing we think in our community is, you know what, I'm gonna buy it just to show them that I could buy it. You know, I gotta prove them wrong. But Joe, stupid, you're doing it just just it proves their point right. It proves their point right. I guarantee you, if we pull that money away from them. They wouldn't be as popular as they are. And and I got I gotta give a shout out to my boy Kanye, man. Everybody always trying to get on Kanye, saying he got mental health issues and all this other stuff. But Kanye is a fucking genius. A genius. Think about it. My man is worth a billion. He's built a billion because he understands what these people are doing. You say things that are outside of the norm. You do things outside of the norm. And people are going to flock to it because we are attracted. We're creatures of habit. We love to do things that are unorthodox. But then 
it, it's contradicting because we, even though it's unorthodox, we're attracted to it and we say we're not supposed to do it, but we do it anyway. Make it make sense. But we want to talk about my boy Kanye. I honestly don't believe Kanye has any, there's nothing wrong with his mental health. I think that the other, the 99% of the world has mental issue problems because constantly we are put in this state of hypnosis of believing what everyone else is saying and doing, especially from the 1%. The 1% who controls everything has been controlling us like puppets forever. And we just keep, you know, letting this, you know, get out. The tea is just stirring and stirring and stirring. And then we over here pointing the finger at my mans because we're saying that, you know, his thought process is off and what he's doing because he's a celebrity. It is. But have you ever sat back and thought about you and what you do? A lot of stuff you do is off. Why are you still working at the same job, getting paid the same amount of money, and they haven't promoted you and you've been working there 10 years? Ain't that a little insane? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing continuously and, and expecting a different result? That's insanity. It's never going to change. But you, people will throw him under the bus. But I had to give my boy Kanye a shout out just on that fact because we talk about the black dollar and black wealth. He be, he be as far as what he does, it may not make sense to everybody, but it's not supposed to make sense. When your mind is simple, it's not going to make sense to you. So I'm going to leave it at that. But back to this money, right? So, yeah. So $6, our dollar stays within our community. Why is that? Why do we feel that we can't spend money within our community? Well, one, we don't have enough black businesses. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's, uh, during COVID, over 100,000 black businesses were started. Me being one of those people myself. Um, so we we have the numbers, but since we're only 13% of the population, we can only do so much. And I would say probably 4% of that population is in Atlanta. <laughs> but, you know, as far as us being able to spend money and do things in our community, I think, I know we've been brainwashed. And I, I want to use, I'm going to, I'm going to use this reference for the, for the audience. We have been conditioned to believe that white ice is colder. Let that sink in. White ice is colder. If there's two gas stations and you need to go, get, uh, and I live in Arizona, right? So we need ice. It's, today it was 117, hot as hell, right? But another, a black person in, a black person goes and sees two gas stations, right? Looking for some ice. They'll see one gas station, white gas station. They'll see another gas station, black gas station. And it's like free. And they'll say ice, $1. Both of them, 99 cents for ice, right? The black person will go to the the white gas station to get their ice instead of the black gas station because in their mind, their ice is going to be better. It's going to be colder. It's going to be more delightful, more delicious, things of that nature. When it's the same ice, both of the ice packs say regular ice on it. Make it make sense. We've been conditioned to distrust our community that we take what we do and how we do things and we do it outside our community because we don't trust our community. But the people we shouldn't be trusted are the ones that we're spending our money with, the ones that don't like us, don't want us around. Make it make sense. I, I, I just don't get it. It makes no sense to me. But again, like I said, we have to figure out, when we talk about group economics, how can we pull our resources together for a common interest when we're too busy taking our resources and spending it in other, other, other avenues with other individuals? We'll never have, we'll never be able to do that collectively because we don't want it to be collective. And what's crazy about it is we think about black people or Africans. We're the most uh, collectivist people 
in the world, everything that we do is collective. You think, for instance, you think about Jamaicans, right? That's just, I'll use Jamaicans as an example. That whole analogy of it takes a village, and most Jamaica, we talk about uh, Ghana, Nigeria, you know, whatever, whatever country it is, right? Most of those people, they use that, that ideology of using, uh, I mean, of having multiple people raise the child. That's why you'll have mom and dad in the same house. You'll have grandma and grandpa in the same house. And, you know, all the families will come together collectively. Another community that does that well is the Hispanic, Mexicans. They do that very well. They'll have 28 people living in one house, and they all contribute to rent, but also they're saving their money. So at some point, they can branch out by their own homes. Or even the Asian community, right? They'll come over, get a gas station, or Asiatic, you know, Middle Eastern, air quote. They'll get a gas station, bring family members over to work. They'll all work, pull their money. And then at some point, boy, buy another gas station, bring another person over to run that gas station, pull their money, build their money up, buy another gas station. Now they have 12 gas stations. They have 30 family members over here, and they're well off. Just like, you know, like I said, the Asian community, the nail shops. Why is there, why are there not more black nail, te- nail technicians? They make money, millions a year off of that industry. Why do we not have, and most of their customers are black people. Our money is being distributed in the wrong communities. But I get it. It can be a little fearful. If we look at the timeline as far as black communities, normally when there's a, a lustrous and a, a striving black community, what happens? The government, individuals within you know positions of power, they come in and they disrupt it. What do they do? They come in and buy up land. They buy up property. And then they kind of, they raise up the, the, the uh, prices. Gentrification in a sense, right? Now, there's a difference between gentrification and uh, restoration, right? If, for instance, I used to live in Baltimore, Maryland, right? Some of the communities out there, literally the whole block was boarded up. Boarded up. So with that, you can't gentrify something like that. All you can do is revitalize it. Now, if they come in and buy three blocks, four blocks, within that area and then they start you know build a park and start uh, uh putting in bike lanes gardens a whole food or whatnot when they do that and then white people start moving in we can't get mad why didn't we buy back the block you know why because we were too busy buying that hermes uh, belt too busy buying that da vinci too busy buying that dior too busy buying all this name brand to impress who because all honestly from my you know and i could be a little ignorant you know we all are but I'm, like I said, I'm going to talk my ish. We buy all of this stuff just to go to a one a, a black club, right, where a lot of black people are in a sense where we all come to com- converse and have a good time. But what happens? People hating on each other or you looking at me too much. And next you know, it's getting shot up, three people killed. Or we'll buy all this stuff, buy the new J's or whatever, pay three, four hundred dollars for some J's, you know, heard, you know, buy a belt, you know, you got to get the, the double G's or the Chanel belt, you know, and we'll go to one of these and they think we're doing something. They will go to one of these like white dominant clubs, you know, like in Scottsdale, Arizona. And what happens now you getting stopped at the door or oh, you can't wear that in here. Right. But you see the white boy right next to you with the same outfit, walk in and you get, you know what I'm saying? Like, when are we going to get it that we need to create our own? By creating our own, we can have 
we can have fun, we can do things, we can grow, we can prosper, but also we got to stop attacking each other. We attack each other way too much. It makes no sense at all. Okay, but let me let me get back on track, right? Because I again I, I go on these tangents because I'm, I'm passionate about this, and I feel like these are things that we don't know about in our community. So yeah, so back to this money thing. So six dollars within our community, right? And what's crazy is so I serve as a financial advisor, you know, in a sense, you know, I'm a licensed real uh, licensed. A life insurance agent. I do investments. I, you know, I help with credit restoration and things of that nature, right? I'm not an expert, expert, but I, I know enough, right? I know more than your average person. So, you know, I do consulting on that in a sense, right? But one of the things I find out to be crazy is, you know, that there's 42 black banks slash credit unions across the nation. In 19 different states, there's 42 different banks and credit unions that are black, that were enacted black, that were made by black, black owned. Like the first bank, the first black bank was the uh, Freedman's Bank. And I think that's in D.C. So we have, you know, and we, we have these issues that go on. For instance, like Wells Fargo, like they have a class act suit against them now for discriminating, discriminating against people of color, specifically black people. When we talked about, you know, when uh, with the real estate crisis that was going on during, you know, COVID and people were defaulting on their homes and trying to refinance, they refinanced the white people's homes. But when the blacks tried to refinance, what happened? They denied it. But Wells Fargo been doing that for years. I used to be, I used to bank with Wells Fargo, and I would go in and ask for credit limits or uh, apply for credit cards and get denied all the time. And I had really good credit. You know, my credit was seven fifty plus. This was back when I was in college. I was in college with a really good credit score because I started building my credit at nineteen. Um, you know, so but they would deny me all the time, and I'm like, you know what? There's something about this that's very predatory. So. When I look, you know, the fact that this class act is going on now, which is 10 years after the fact, I'm glad I pulled my money out of Wells Fargo when I did. So, um, but again, we try to bank with these big banks who, and little, what little people, what little, what little do people know is a lot of these major banks were involved in the Atlantic slave trade and they funded a lot of what was going on as far as bringing slaves here from Africa. Chase, J.P. Morgan. They were one of the main contributors, J.P. Morgan, Chase. But now they have these programs, these initiatives, these minority initiatives to try to uh, cover, you know, cover the smoke or whatnot. And, you know, like, you know, get forgive us. We're sorry for, you know, doing what we did to the ancestors. So we're going to give you all these plays. We're going to give you these grant options, these loan options if you're a person of color. You know what I'm saying? A lot of these banks, man, they were corrupt. Wells Fargo. Chase, J.P. Morgan, you know what I'm saying? So why don't we pull our money and put them in black banks? Because little do people know is when you put your money in a bank, what they do is, so uh, let me break this down for you real quick. When you put your money in the bank, the money turns around and takes that money and invests and they invest it in the stock market. The stock market. And that's one of the, outside of real estate, stock market is one of the best ways to help grow your money. But again, people are afraid to get into the stock market. But we can talk about that later on that financial tip because, like I said, I do that, that. I do that as well. But think about it. Say you open up an account with, let's just say, Chase, right? You put in a thousand dollars, right? And 
say a week later, you're like, you know what? I want to change my bank, right? If you go to Chase and say, hey, I want to withdraw my $1,000 back, they're going to tell you you got to wait three to five business days. The reason why you have to wait is because they have to, they've already invested your money, so they have to wait to sell those shares that they bought with your money from which, whichever vendor it was in order for them to give you your money back. It's strategic. That's why the banks are the way that they are now as far as them being uh, mega structures when it comes to money. Banks ain't just sitting on their head. That's why we as a people got to invest as well. Stop being fearful of investing. You can easily get involved in investing. You can uh, go to EFT.com, uh, uh, I believe. You can go there, and it's a novice way for you to get involved with starting, you know, investing. You can use uh, Stash, S-T-A-S-H. Stash is an app. It's a, it's a blue icon. You can go in there and start investing, and you can use that to go uh, put your money in different stocks. You can use Acorn, which when you swipe your card, so say, for instance, you buy something that's $13.12, it's going to round your money up to the nearest dollar, so it will round it up to $14, and then it's going to put $0.88 cents into your Acorn account. You can use that to invest. Um, you can talk to me. I can help you out with getting investments. If you want to get a mutual fund, if you want to get you a retirement, a Roth IRA, or just a traditional Roth, you know, I can help you do those things because we have to set ourselves up when we talk about generational wealth. When we talk about building up our communities. If you have children, you're doing them a disservice if you're not saving money for them now. And I'm not talking about a 529, which is a, a college fund. I'm talking about getting them a mutual fund in their name so that as, when they turn 18, they can have almost $100,000 in their bank account if you do it the right way set it up in terms of the interest rate and all that good stuff but again that's a, another topic for another um that's another topic for another time but you know we're doing ourselves a disservice but again we can pull our money into these black banks then we can utilize these back black banks to take out loans we're always getting denied loans because again the person that's doing the underwriting for us doesn't look like us as far as melanin or being a, a black person, they're not black. So, of course, they see this. Any any flag or flaw they see, they're going to be super, super stringent on that it's, uh, compared to if you do it with a black bank with someone who would be like, dang, I, you know, they, they grew up in this area code. They look up the area code. Okay, that's a bad area, but you know what? They're probably trying to do better for themselves. Let's look out for them. You, you live in that area code and you, you go to a white bank, what they're going to do? They're going to deny you because they might, up. Oh, you're not suited to get a, a loan. So we just we got to think about these things when it comes to pulling our money and trying to build up our community, right? So we have to look at those things. So again, pulling our money for a common interest, pull our money and put them in our black banks. Use these black banks, build them up to mega banks, and with these mega banks, they are they'll be allowed to give you more money. Now, yeah, what I tell you earlier, banks when they get your money, they invest it. But if these black banks don't have money to invest, how can they grow their portfolio to give them more revenue, more revenue to give out to people? So we have to utilize that to do that. Okay? It's important. So keep that in mind. And I got to give a shout out to a young sister. Well, she's not young. We're about the same age. Maybe she's a year younger. Her name's Angel Rich. Angel Rich. Out of uh, the DMV area, I believe she's from uh, D.C., Washington, D.C., she actually, but she actually went to Hampton University. So, you know, Howard and Hampton, they both have their views. And if you don't know, if you're just uh, chiming in, Hampton is a historically black college. Howard is a historically black college. And those are two of the most, um, they're both private, 
right? So they're both private and they compete because they can, they both call themselves the real, the real or the original HU, right? Because they both, their, their acronym is HU, right? So it's just a little fun feud between them, nothing crazy. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I want to shout this sister out because she wrote a book called The History of the Black Dollar. You can get it on uh, Amazon. It's about 10 to 15 bucks, but it goes through a lot of things that are uh, are prominent to the black dollar. It talks about black inventors and how, you know, the patent system by slave masters, you know, took away that credit for them, right? It talks about who did what in terms of creating this and creating that. It talks about the black banks. It talks about historically black colleges. It talks about how to finance, how do you do credit, how to build yourself up so you're not put into this, uh, put into this, uh, this this ditch in a sense of debt and sorrow because you don't know how to uh, conduct yourself financially. And I'm not saying that in a malicious manner. I'm just saying, you know, if we, we're not taught these things in school, we're not taught how to be financially literate. Financial literacy is super important. And I preach this because I, I've had my shortcomings. I've had my, my woes and things that I've done in the past that have set me up till now I'm trying to rebuild things. Right. I'm knowledgeable now and I'm, I'm sharing the knowledge now, but it, it was not always like this. I had to educate myself. I had to pick up a book. You know, the pressure say the best way to hide information from someone is to put it in a book. Because most people don't like to read. They're lazy. Point blank period. They're lazy. They don't want to read. So, you know, I, I, I have a plethora of books on multiple topics. It's, I read all the time. I hate reading, but I read all the time because... I know that there's information there that I'm going to utilize at some point, right? So yeah, so think about that. Pick up the book by Angela uh, Angel Rich Angel A N G E L Rich R I C H. Um, it's a it's a phenomenal book. It's an easy read. I think it's about a hundred pages. Uh, it has pictures in it <laughs> for those who like to look at pictures. Um, and it just highlights things that you need to know. You know, uh, especially women, women creators, women. Um, uh, millionaires, Madam C.J. Walker, if y'all don't know who that is, you know, she had one of the most, and still does have one of the most illustrious um, hair care companies in the world, you know what I mean? So, you know, keep that in mind. She was the first uh, black woman billionaire, you know, so keep that in mind. Um, but, you know, as I get ready to end this uh, episode, I want to talk about one last thing. You know, I mentioned earlier Howard and Hampton. I want to talk about HBCUs, right? Because I think it starts there as well. Um, and kind of what I alluded to early, early in the beginning of the episode when I talked about HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities are in black communities across the nation, across the nation, right? So I've had the the pleasure and the, the honor to work at a few HBCUs. I worked at Savannah State University, which is in Savannah, Georgia. I worked at... Um, Morgan State University, which is in Baltimore, Maryland, right? Um, I've had a chance to visit multiple HBCUs. Um, Elizabeth City State, which is in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Uh, Coppin State, which is in Baltimore. <clears throat> Howard University, which is in D.C. Um, uh, Texas Southern, which is in Houston. Um, um, where else? Uh, Fayetteville State, which is in North Carolina. Winston-Salem State, which is in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, um, yeah, and the list goes on, right? And I, I say this because it starts there. We have universities, universities and locations that are prominent to our people, our, in our communities. Like, think about that. If 
like, for instance, we talk about the athletic world. You know, there's a lot of buzz going on about a lot of these Power Five or schools like, you know, your Alabamas, your Clemsons, your Texas A&Ms. These coaches, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fincher, and Bo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney, he's a chump. I don't like him no more. He, I used to be a huge Clemson fan, but he tried to, you know, undermine HBCUs talking about, oh, they don't have the resources. You won't get a good education. Come on now, bro. You don't even care about these black players. You only care about the money that, you, that you're that you getting from being a coach, man. You're making $8 million a year. I don't want to hear about what what's the better institution. What's better for them? For them to be comfortable and to be in an environment where they're going to still be ostracized. Come on now. You're a chump, man. I said what I said. You, got, you won't smoke. Let's get it. <clears throat> but as I was saying, it starts there. You know, for me, I'm, I'm super um, – I'm an HBCU fanatic supporter. Uh, I want my children to go to HBCUs because not because uh, 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 because I went to one. You know, I'm doing I'm finishing my uh, PhD at Morgan State right now, but because I I went to two B- PWIs, one for my undergrad and one for my master's, and the experience I had there, you know, it was fun. I played football, so you know, I had a little fun with that, but in reality all of the microaggressions and things that was going on it, it really wasn't for me and I, I i didn't feel comfortable or i didn't feel like myself until i was at an hbcu and now that's the only institutions i will work at is hbcus you would never catch me at a pwi they can't pay me enough to be at a pwi because i will be that angry black man when it's all said and done because i don't have time for it i don't got time for it. karen and her tears and you know being playing victim and all that no nah, miss me with that you a chump too. I said what I said, right? But it starts there at the HBCUs because we put, you know, have our students go there. We can grow the population. You know, our alumni need to give back to our HBCUs. A lot of them are going on to do great things after they graduate. Give back to HBCU, even if it's a hundred dollars a year. You think about it. Graduate, you know, if you HBCUs account for two hundred and two hundred twenty thousand graduates, right, a year. Think about it. If they pull their money a hundred dollars a piece from each person, what is that? Two hundred and twenty million. Two hundred and twenty million that we're giving back to HBCUs. Now we got the resources. Now we can build up the facilities, give the students what they need, pay the workers what they need to get paid, so people are not underpaid anymore. Now we're building up that community. We're pushing. Uh, we're building out that community, the neighborhood, right? By buying up the houses, fixing them up so there's better housing for students. You know. It's unfortunate that you know there's a lot of things that happen that are tragedies for students in those in those areas. But you know, again, HBCUs are normally in deplorable areas in a sense. You know, the the resources are limited, and um, there might be a lot. There, there's some crime. You know, don't get me wrong. I still get updates to my email now, even though I don't live in Maryland. You know, about things that are going on, shootings, robberies, things of that nature. It happens. But again, we gotta feed the uh, the neighborhood. You know, that creates jobs. By creating jobs, people don't have to do things to survive. You know, it's a domino effect. We got to think about this, right? So, again, you know, get our children to go to HBCUs. You know, uh, alumni, don't donate back to the HBCUs. And then with that, when you get your job, go open you an account with a a black black bank or a credit union. And I'm not saying you have to put all your funds in there, but put some funds in there, right? Put some funds in there. Give it a give it a chance. Give it a chance. It's okay to diversify your portfolio. You can have money in different banks. I myself have three banks that I bank with. Actually, three banks personally and three banks for my business. 
you can do it and they are across different different platforms you always want to you don't always want to like they say you never want to put all your eggs in one basket right because it's easy for you to you put it in one basket to lose it all you have to diversify yourself just like with stocks and bonds you want to diversify your stocks and bonds we got to be smart about this people we got to take this knowledge and we got to acquire this knowledge and then utilize it with no implementation there's death we, we are going to continue to die as a community we got to step up to the plate and do what's right right so yeah again hbcus at some point there was 107 108 hbcus now there's only 102 to 104 that are currently active and they're in uh they're across the country i believe i said what 19 states across the country you know mainly on the you know uh mainly on the the mid-atlantic southeast south region so i think um the most northern uh university is uh pennsylvania slash ohio so midwest ohio you got central state you got wilberforce state in ohio and then in pennsylvania you have uh, uh university of pennsylvania cheney right it's changed his name a few times and then you have lincoln university so you have those and then of course the farthest west as far as HBCUs is in Texas and Oklahoma. Texas, you got Texas uh, Southern, which is a bigger school. You got Perry View. Those are the two biggest ones. Of course, you got Paul Quinn and Wiley. Wiley, you heard about when, if you watched the great debaters with um, Denzel Washington and uh, Juicy Smollett's sister, Journey Smollett, that's her name. Um, and um, what's the guy from Birth of the Nation? I forget his name. Um, but, you know, Intelligent Brother. I think his name is Nathan. But um, yeah, then of course in Oklahoma, you have Blankston University, right? But, you know, all across, you got to think about this, people. At some point, Blacks weren't allowed to go to school. So why were the HBCUs created, enacted? They were enacted for us to get an education. Now, don't get me wrong. If you were a little more affluent and had some money, you can attend. But we talk about the, the masses. The first HBCU was enacted in 1837. That's uh, Cheney University in Pennsylvania. That's the first university. So we got to think about this. We got to get back to our, uh, we got to give back to our HBCUs. We got to get back to our communities. And the first thing first is we got to figure out how to master this group economics, right? By mastering this group economics, we can do anything as a community, but it starts with us. We got to really tap in and utilize it. Stop worrying about the Hermes belt. Stop worrying about getting a Ferrari. If you got a Ferrari and you live in a townhouse with your mama in the basement, man, that's, that's, you should smack yourself, you know. That's just how I feel about that. Well, I have a, I have a Mercedes S-Class in the driveway, but your windows are boarded up on your crib, man. Come on now. It only, these materialistic things only last for so long. Set yourself up in the future. Get you some life insurance. One of my good friends' name is D. We call him D. Leg. I'm not gonna say his name. We use aliases for the time being. But he said something very profound, and I'm starting to hear this more often. Like I said, I do life insurance. He said if every black person in America got life insurance, right, a lot of the police killings and the police brutality will stop because at some point, all those black people that are being killed, these life insurance companies have to dish out that money. So if that's a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million dollars, they're dishing out all this money every time. The lobbyists who lobby for these insurance companies, they're going to be knocking on, they're going to be, they're going to put the fire to, to the feet of the, the police uh, commissioner, the police departments, because 
It's like y'all gotta figure this out. We're losing money because y'all killing people and you know they don't they don't they don't wised up. So think about that. We all get some life insurance, we're all covered. So God forbid somebody get killed by the police, but that's gonna that's gonna ignite the fire to create change. And like I said, we can't we can't depend on these politics to create change. We gotta do it ourselves. We gotta be smart, we gotta be wise because if we don't do these things. We're going to continue to be in this cycle. They're going to continue to start this tea, and we're going to continue to be lost. And you know, and Loaded Luck said, if you know, if you watch Battle Rap, he said it. He, he said it the best. You just another lost person. He said the N word, but I'm gonna say another lost person. So we can't continue to be lost. We got to open our eyes. We got to pull the wool off our eyes, and we really need to hunker down, dig deep, and work together as a unit so that we can have a peace of mind. I I got two sons. One that's eight. Well, he'll be eight soon, and I got one that's in the oven. He getting ready to be born soon. I don't want my sons to have to worry about financially being able to do this. I don't have to want them to have to worry about being in a community where they're not welcome or don't feel safe. And it starts with us. So I'm doing everything in my power to make sure my children are safe and well, and 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 need have the resources that they need to be successful. But I also want them to work within their community. So I'm going to teach them that this is how you work with your community. This is how you work with your brother, man. You know, your melanated people. That's how we're doing. So with that being said, appreciate y'all for uh, listening in. Like I said, I can get a little crazy, but I just, I, I, I talk my ish. You know, I, I like to, you know, I like to educate. I like to keep people on point and you know, me starting this podcast is my way of doing it. This is my way of giving back to the community and, you know, sharing viewpoints that might change lives. And that's all I'm about, changing lives. You know, I'm very big into servant leadership, transformational leadership. So, you know, if I can help you change your life or help you find a method to better your life, I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for the people. You know, I ain't saying I'm the people's champ, but I can definitely become that depending on what you need. So with that being said, I uh, appreciate y'all again. If you haven't, um, like, subscribe, and share the, you know share this information with somebody that you think might need it. You know what I'm saying? Because like I said, I you know I'm, I'm dropping gems, and I'm, I'm going to continue to you know talk my ish and post stuff that I feel is important to our community. So with that being said, get ready for the next episode. It should be dropping about next week, and it's going to be a surprise. You'll know when I when I put the title up there. So with that being said, again, I, I appreciate y'all more than y'all know. And just listening to me, you know, I really appreciate that. So look forward to y'all checking in next week, and I'll talk to y'all then. With that being said, be safe. Godspeed.